0: little letter or epistle of 25 verses of jude one chapter and if you're new to this you can find uh, jude right next to the book of revelation the second to the last book of the bible remember if you were with us jude uh, the half-brother of jesus wrote to those who were saved by the lord uh, to encourage them and hope to be more encouraging he wanted to talk about their common salvation but he was burdened because he had to warn them about well, what happens to any ministry It happens to nations uh, those creep in That have a different agenda And uh, are serving themselves and so he wanted to warn them about these false teachers These people who are bringing a different gospel twisting grace Into something that hey, you can do whatever you want twisting the the nature of jesus. Well, he's not really god and They were susceptible for this listen how How is it that we get susceptible to false teaching? Any con artist knows, you know, that they appeal to what you are interested in. They can find out real quick what you want. And they can give you a sense they have an answer for what you want. Uh, Because we're vulnerable with our own natural state. Think of how you're sized up in the world. Uh, Think of what you long for. We we long to be very beautiful or handsome, to be desired. We, We long to have... You know a great intellect or be very wise and be admired by that Or we crave power Because uh, if we don't have the first two we can have some power to get our way anyway And the lust for wealth to obtain whatever we want or whomever we want So this is kind of like a an obsession where you're where you have an obsession you're vulnerable You're vulnerable to deception. You're vulnerable to making bad decisions and jude of course Talked about the bad decisions Israel made in the wilderness and angels even in heaven that rebelled against God and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, perfect environment. Yet they indulged themselves to the degree where they were so wicked. Defiling the flesh, rejecting authority and slandering even heavenly beings. So now we come to verse 12. And verse 12 and 13 is our text. And uh, at first read, this is a very depressing Text. But keep in mind what he's describing now. He's continuing continuing the theme of these who have crept in. So this is not you. This is them who have a different agenda. And maybe there are some them here. Who knows? God knows. But we're not worried about that. We're we're going to take Jude's warning at, at face value. At the same time, I think there's something would be amiss. If we read this, it, it reminds me of when Jesus said... To his disciples, you're all clean, but one of you. And and he he said, basically, one of you will betray me. Do you remember what their response was? They they were looking around wondering, who? I wonder who it is. No, they actually didn't do that. See, that's our natural tendency. There's somebody who's betrayed us here. Now, what would your first reaction? Ooh, looking at who, who it might be. That's the natural tendency we would have. But the reality is quite different. The disciples said what? Remember, is it I? Is it me? So sometimes even when you're getting a warning from this, you know, I think it's a healthy response to say, Lord, is there any of this in me? Any of this here that maybe I could take a look at for myself and and gain insight? And Lord, maybe, well, in a way, we all started out here. Is there how much of this is still left in us as we've gathered among the saints? So it's a sobering thought. Let's read verse 12 and 13. It says, these are spots, the, these, these creepers, these guys that have crept in. These are spots in your love feast or literally rocks in your hidden harbor. Your harbor. You're, you've come to have this love feast, but there's hidden dangers. While they feast without, with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. They're raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. And they're wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now again, these are, and I'm choosing to stop here because I don't, there's enough to meditate and ponder. There's so much pregnant thought in all of Jude's writings, even though he wrote a short epistle. It takes time to really look at all of these comparisons and understand what he's saying, even from the Old Testament, the idioms and the, the mentions. And he goes on to describe them even more, but then he comes to verse 20, and I'm going to end with this uh, in each of the next two or three sessions. But he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. What a great um, message to them that he's warning them about these. We should have an honesty to say, Lord, is it I? But he says, but you build yourselves up on faith and what God has done for you and his grace. All right, let's take a look now. I you know, the, what, what drives people? What is their ultimate motivation? Note, notice how these men come in. Let's take a look. These are spots in your love feast. It's amazing how our amazing technology today has given us an opportunity to uh, get so much interaction to so many people we never would have normally. And in normal relationships where you can only know a number of people around you in your locality, you know, it's hard enough to manage those relationships and to learn what it is you're supposed to be in that relationship and what are you gaining from that relationship. But when it becomes a uh, bigger than life, for example, people that have 5,000 friends on Facebook or, or they've gotten a million likes for some viral video, what does that really mean in the end? A bit of heart searching for us to really evaluate, are they really our friends? Are they, is it really an impact that I'm having? Am I a mile wide, but just an inch deep? The Lord would show a different thing. He certainly could have used heavenly technology, if you will, to broadcast his message from the moon and you know, blazing it in the sky, all that he wanted us to know. But instead what he did was he chose 12 men. And he poured into them. And then they poured into others, and they poured into others. And relationships formed. In fact, I often wonder, it's it's never the big event that influences people. In fact, it wasn't for me, it wasn't some celebrity testimony that got my attention. It was just people, normal people around me that actually genuinely cared about me. That meant more to me than anything else. And so these, these are some great illustrations. Spots among love feasts, or hidden reefs. Clouds with no water, autumn trees with no fruit, raging waves foaming up their shame and wandering stars, a big flash of light and darkness forever. Let's take a look at these. First of all, the spots or hidden reefs. Now, I I say hidden reefs because 400 years after this was written, that word was always, it meant like a rock that was in a shallow area. And, you know, think about the, the picture. You're coming into harbor, And and it's nice and calm. You're away from the rough waves. And it's like, ah, you can breathe now. You don't have to worry. You're in a safe harbor. It would be like coming into a love feast where people are there that genuinely care about you. And you you can let your guard down. And ah, you're feeling great. And all of a sudden, bam, you get hit by some person that are... Well, they're not really true believers. They're make-believers. They've got some other ul- ulterior motive and they've taken advantage of your niceness. You know, there is the type of person that, you know, they like to be around bad people. Uh, they just encourage themselves in their badness. But they're also bad people that like to be around good people because they find their easy marks. They find they can gain their trust and they can get what they want. So we have to be aware of this. And of course, Jude is, exposing this now love feasts were uh, actually a common thing we, we might call it a potluck but it was more than that in that culture literally you uh, shared your life with people you shared your substance with them you, you, you got together and just like a potluck you know for a moment and everybody's bringing what they can bring and everybody shares and there's a lot of feasting and fun and of course we had many of those in our day and it seems like anytime we do an event there's food involved and that's why people have nicknamed us calorie chapel at times But uh, this is a part of jesus ate with his disciples all the time There's something spiritual about eating There's something wonderful They accused jesus of being a wine bibber and a glutton because apparently he was always with his disciples eating and feasting but jesus said something in luke that was very powerful. He said listen when you invite someone over for a dinner or supper Don't ask your friends your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they invite you back But you and you can be repaid. But when you give a feast, he said, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Why don't we do that more? Why, why do we have our little closed circles with our friends and the people that are just like us and others that are a little bit different that might take a little more work to get to know or might take a little more inconvenience to help? We can't be bothered with that. In a sense, the Lord is convicting us in this regard. These love feasts that were meant to be a blessing to the Corinthians at one point, it turned into uh, the rich were bringing their fine foods and the poor were coming in with nothing and the rich weren't sharing and it was like someone was feasting but not everybody and it made a mockery of what a love feast was supposed to be. It would be like going to a potluck and bringing steak and lobster And uh, but that's just for you and your family and everybody else might be eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, uh, which if they were fried peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I might be tempted. Those are really good. Hey, well, you have never had fried peanut grilled cheese, right? You have you grill a cheese, grill a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, then come and talk to me. (laughs) But the point is this. You know, Jesus. Knew the heart of our of us, and, and Judas calling out, "They're coming in among you with your love feast." But, but what does he say? He's there feasting among you without fear. There's no fear of God. Even the purest church has its hidden reefs. Even Jesus's disciples, there was a hidden reef, if you remember, Judas. You know, I had a great conversation with a brother in Newark who listens to me on the radio, listens to the Bridge, and. You know, he had a comment about racism and I gave him a call and had a great talk. But he said, you know, in my experience growing up in church, he says, you know, you go to church and there'd be some nice church folk there. They'd sing, they pray, they talk about Jesus. But when you leave, don't dare get in their way when they're leaving the parking lot. Um, and, And it's like that can happen. You know, the all the nicety and the love and the grace while we're here somehow doesn't get translated out there. And that's a problem you know it's it's why a lot of times people come to church they feel the love and they're excited and the church is over and it's like everybody's gone they're like what happened where is this community i've heard about so this is a this is a challenge but here's a person who how can they do that how can they come in and in your love feast feasting without fear the is it a fear that there's no fear of god or is it a fear that I would put it this way no no regard to God's will or maybe a cautious no cautious fear in their own motive. I think it's a wise thing to check your motives, unlike the fool who assumed ah oh, they'll be fine ah, oh, the storm's not going to be that big. ah, oh, the house will be fine here by the shore, yeah, it's sand, but we'll be okay. He never questioned, but the wise man did the wise man was hmm, I don't know that storm could be bigger than I'm thinking and this sand might not hold, and I better dig down to the foundation. He's always second guessing, and I think that's a healthy thing for all of us. Here's one who doesn't do that at all. He feasts without fear. He has no he doesn't even question his motives. Now, some people arrive at that no fear of God out of ignorance of God's word. Ignorance of God, who he is. They're not afraid of the afterlife. In fact, that's one of the qualifications for anyone in leadership. Moses was told, choose able men who fear God, hating covetousness. See the combination? You fear God, so you're going to be very loath to take advantage for yourself. Because even though you could get away with it with people, God sees. There's something powerful about that motivation to know that God is watching, that he's going to hold us accountable and he will discipline us. And he wants us to be like him. So, and I want to please him. So all of that concern drives me to love my neighbor. As opposed to these who have the natural fear of God. Some arrive out of ignorance of God. But some arrive out of substance abuse. It clouds their senses. They get intoxicated. And they have no clue to what to think of. They revert to just the emotional state. No rational thought. It's so what drugs, alcohol, abusive substances do to the degree where I don't know if you saw the news last week. It was heartbreaking. That mother in Texas, beautiful young lady who's obviously going through some struggles in the COVID and depression, as many have and many are. And uh, she, you know, apparently, you know, had an o- overdose in a parking lot in Texas in a Walmart, I think, and. Uh, The two little girls in her car, four and two, died of heat stroke in the car after she had died. I wonder, you know, if we could know how our decisions dramatically affect others in a negative way, if we would still do them. But when we're intoxicated, when we're under the influence, you can't even reason that out. We can't even calculate human suffering from substance abuse. But that could also explain why there is a lack of fear because people are so anesthetized in our culture. They're tranquilized, they're drunk, they're distracted with all kinds of, you know, pornography and other things that are totally addicting them and they are losing fear of God. Sensual persons, all about myself, neglecting that sixth sense. You know, we... You know, you've heard about ESP, right? And I know what you think of when you hear of ESP, not extrasensory perception is in, "woo," but extra spiritual sense. God has given us our five senses that are wonderful for here, but we need a spiritual sense. We need to be born again, to be aware and conscious of him and walk with him. And without that, we'll be just like Esau, who, I mean, his whole world was food, fun, and females. That's all that mattered to him he had no care for his birthright, his spiritual birthright. He was willing to sell that for a cup of soup. And he did. Unlike Jacob, who had a care for those things, those spiritual things. So, so what happens when this mentality comes, these, these um, ones that are feasting among you without fear, they end up serving only themselves. That's what it comes down to. Their, their real God is their appetite. What they desire, what they want got a very clear agenda what they want to get from you and the bible says whose end is destruction whose god is their belly or their appetite whose glory is their shame who set their mind on earthly things see i i think much more of a person's final eternity you know i life matters which is why we do this ultrasound this medical unit to help these babies in the womb and help these moms realize it's not just a blob of tissue and help them to hear that heartbeat and to see that child and to make that decision to straighten their lives and to get the right track and we'll be there to help them during the journey but boy eternal life matters more than anything so to be uncautious and unwise would be the opposite of this one who comes in and just they don't check their motives they think their motives are pure you know, they're, they're, they're wise in their own eyes, and they're pure in their own eyes, and they miss who they really are. They don't bother to ever ask, is that me? Is that me? Charles Dickens says, no one is useless in this world who lightens the burdens of others. And uh, John Bunyan said, you have not lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. What a powerful statement. What a great quote. You have not lived today unless you can do something for someone who cannot repay you. So don't be a one who is a hidden reef. When someone encounters you, they're going to be hurt. Rather be a blessing. The second illustration is they're clouds without water carried about by the winds. Now, when I think of winds, I think of all the winds of doctrine that are usually uh, more appealing to the younger and immature. They get carried about by every wind of doctrine because they're not really knowledge of the Bible yet. And man, again, on the Internet, let me tell you, talking about winds, <laughs> there's a lot of winds, foul winds that are blowing with all these ideas and doctrines and ideologies and isms. And the alternatives are numerous. How can you tell what's right? How do you know when you get into the word you test all things, but these are guys that come in with a promise of refreshing Water the idea of these rain clouds are coming the dark clouds. Whoa, you're a farmer. Your your ground is parched You're like, oh, it's gonna rain But to your dismay the clouds just pass right by not a drop Like what happened? Well, that's kind of what these people are when they come in with an ulterior motive. They're not really there to really be a blessing to refresh others, but they can look the part. They can look like your best friend. They can f- discover, look, there's, there's always predators. We have to be aware of that. You know, but whoever faults mostly of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. There are people that can make you think they're very generous, and, but they've got a, an ulterior motive. And this is essentially what he's warning. But when the word of God comes down, it is like refreshing rain. It will make a difference in people's lives. I and mean, sometimes, though, the problem is with the hearer. You know, a word can go out, but Jesus warned how you hear. Take heed how you hear. He warned about the seed falling on the hardened path. Not going to germinate there. Or the seed that gets germinated really quickly in the, in the thin soil, the rocky soil, and it sprouts up, but then it dries up quickly because it has no depth. Then the seed falls on the thorns, and it grows up, but the thorns choke it out. So the, the key is to be a hearer that truly is receiving that truth, that word. So sometimes that parched earth comes not from the lack of rain, but from the hardness of heart. But sometimes it is, and in Jude's case here, it's a teacher problem. You got the show of a rain cloud, but no rain. Useless teaching that doesn't inspire or lift up toward the Lord or refresh the soul. Homilies of the pretense of advanced scholarly enlightened thought. Gives off airs of deep spirituality, but no real refreshing truths. Or that which just entertains, but doesn't really satisfy. You feel good, but you're not built up empty philosophies amuse for a season but leave you spiritually bankrupt so this is what jude has to say these clouds without water these are those guys and then he goes on with the third illustration late autumn trees without fruit twice dead pulled up by the roots now again this is a this is an interesting uh idiom because if you went out to the trees the orchards in autumn uh you'd expect to see a lot of fruit And here are late autumn trees that, well, there's not a fruit to be found, like Jesus when he came to the fig tree, if you remember. Remember when he came to the fig tree? He sees that fig tree, he sees the leaves, and he comes expecting fruit because if a fig tree has leaves, it should have fruit. The fruit fruit is going to be the last thing that will remain. The leaves will drop off before the fruit drops off. There wasn't a fig on that tree, and so he cursed the tree. People often ask, you know, it's one of the Bible questions you get, why did Jesus get mad at the little tree? (laughs) He didn't get mad at the little tree. He really didn't care. You know, the the reality is it was a parable for the nation Israel. They had a show of religion. They looked the part. They had that that appearance of righteousness, but it was self-righteousness. When you got too close to them, you got hurt. Just like you have an expectation of fruit, but you're left with an emptiness. Contrast that with a true believer whose life is neither barren nor unfruitful and you're built up and you're established and you're rooted and grounded in him and you're going to bear fruit. Then you have this fourth illustration, raging waves of the sea foaming up their shame. Now I was trying to think of in what way is this like the others? Because all of them have this, they appear one way, you're expecting something good, you're feasting together. There's clouds, there's tree fruit trees, but you come up with nothing. So in what way would this be? Well, I, I, all I could think of is that the tides are actually a very powerful thing that God didn't, you know, put together because without the tides, if there was no moon in our sky and we had no tides, life would not be the same on earth as we know it. So much is dependent upon the health of those coral reefs and all of those just close to shore. That's where most of the marine animal and life lives because it has a constant refreshing with those tides that come in and out. A lot more meat than meets the eye. Well, you would expect there'd be some health there. In fact, they just discovered that in the Gulf of Mexico after this last hurricane came through. Um, that dead zone that comes from all the fertilizer coming off the Nile, or the, uh, not the Nile, uh, the Mississippi Delta, uh, it, it basically it, it creates all this algae bloom and they, they grow like crazy and then they fall dead when the food runs out. And then they rot and stink and rob the oxygen from the water. It becomes a dead zone. Nobody can live there. Nothing can live there. No animals, no, no marine life. But when those waves came through and those big storms, it mixed it all up and it got it alive again. It uh, literally took care of two thirds of the dead zone. So waves are very powerful, very good. But these waves, of course, instead of bringing in refreshing oxygen and stirring up life, bring in a stench of rotting seaweed or choking algae. They're, they're foaming up their own shame. Again, the promise of something helpful, nothing. And then the final illustration. Whew, we're almost done with these illustrations, but they're, they're sad. They're tragic wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever Now at first glance, you know, you look at something else He said about what's reserved for the blackness of darkness and you realize it was the angels and people Begin to think in terms of those angels that fell as wandering stars and that's not a far-off idiom but in this in in this case or actually if you study the heavens you will note that as fixed as the stars are there are a lot of other lights that seem to move around with no patterns. Of course, you know what they are because you've had modern cosmology. They're the planets. That up until Copernicus and Galileo and were able to figure out the, the, what was going on with these planets revolving around the sun, that it all made sense. But these wandering stars are not planets. There, there is a different kind of a picture here. There's a contrast between a star and this blackness of darkness. And I think the contrast is very simple. These were probably meteorites or meteors actually in the sky. Just lighting up the whole sky, making a big show. Everybody's, woo, millions of people can see it. And then poof, it's gone. Now I thought, what a great illustration for this culture today. Shooting stars. You know, one hit wonders. Got my fame today. I'm, I've got, I'm in the starlight, a moment of fame, one breakthrough, I go viral. Everybody knows my name. You know, it's amazing what we will do. We'll sell our soul for that, those extra likes. How, how susceptible, how vulnerable we are to that obsession to be known. You know, because there's that that obsession's there because we have been separated from God. But now that we've entered into his relationship, I don't need to need you to please me. Now I'm filled by him and I can be a blessing to you. And that's the idea. The opposite of these guys that come in, they've got their own agenda. They want to shine. Look at me, look at me, look at me. By the way, uh, they did an amazing comparison. I, I was looking and researching. I couldn't find it. I wanted to have the link to share with you i'm still looking for it but someone did a study on people that were famous because of you know entertainment or some shallow pursuit you know they were famous because they could act or they could do some feat and uh, then there are other other people famous for actually doing amazingly good things humanitarian aid like mother Teresa types and they compared a lot of these you know famous for servants and famous for just you know the celebrity idea of today And they compared them. And of course, the celebrities had a lot more money and a lot more notoriety than the famous servants. But one thing they did in the happiness quotient, they discovered something interesting. Those that were famous for service were the most well adjusted, happy, balanced. Families were stable. It's just like there's just life around them. And those that were famous for just, you know, movies and theater whatever it is depression and drugs and the money didn't solve their problems and they're 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 miserable they're seeing psychiatrists all the time they're spending their money to try to overcome all of their issues and you think isn't this a great parable you're a shooting star Woo! look at that everybody sees you and then you're gone and what then why are we so obsessed with that? You, you know what I'm talking about. All the clickbait click that you get in your internet. You know, see what the celebrities look like now, 30 years later. Oh, I got to see that. Wow. Why do we get so obsessed with that stuff? Maybe it's just me. Now I know it's you too. Jude makes this great comparison. So now what do all these things have in common? All these examples, all these idioms, they're drawn from all quarters of the world. The earth, the plants, the air, the sea, the heavens. But they're out of joint. Something's missing. They're empty. They promise one thing. They deliver bubkis. Nothing. Just a few years or a few verses, Jude shows colorfully this emptiness. Dangerous as sunken rocks in your quiet, safe harbor. Useless as rainless clouds when you're in desperate need of water. Fruitful as barren trees when you're hungry in harvest time. Dirty as a foaming sea when... You needed that refreshing tide, the quick blaze of a shooting star when light at night could have easily guided you and helped you. So in every respect, it was just all about themselves. Well, what a contrast for us. But you, he goes on to say in verse 20, Beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And you now have compassion on those making a distinction, even saving with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh, risking your own life to rescue others trapped. What a difference. What a contrast. But a lot of times it comes with, number one, just a plodding along doing the right thing. And you know what I mean by plotting? I mean like, you know, we sometimes really want some fantastical answer to our prayer and some sign that God is with me, some answer, some, ooh, I know, thank you, God. We, we get so, like I said last week, you know, if I quote a verse, you're there, uh, half there, m- many of you. Some are not even there. <laughs> but if I would say, I got to tell you about this dream last night i had this experience it was amazing let me tell you you're on the edge of your seats oh i want to hear that why is that because because we don't like the idea of plodding along verse by verse learning the things of god we want some easy quick answer doesn't happen that way you're not going to get your phd that way you're not going to get your bachelor's you're not going to get high school graduation that way it's going to be some work And what is seen is so often the thing that gets our attention. And we miss the unseen. You know, this is what I delight in. I I know God has a plan. I know there's a purpose. I I don't know many of you. And I know that whatever your journey is, your story, we intersect for a time. And I hope you're getting plugged in somewhere, somehow. But I, I would say that I know God uses his word and it will impact you. And for people that are looking for some really cool message that they can tell everybody about, it's not the same here. You're going to find that you come week by week by week. And maybe after a few years, you're going to realize, wow, I know the word of God. Not to some, that becomes a problem. I've, I've gotten some letters from some ladies who are very upset with me, kiddingly. That, they've, that I've ruined them because they know the Bible so well and the things of God so well, it's really hard to find a man that can keep pace with them. And, uh, and they're still single as a result of it. So I'm warning you right now. I say that facetiously. The problem is, you know, we, we really do need to value the things that are most important. I want you to turn real briefly to tie this up with a passage in that Paul wrote to a very carnal church, the Corinthian church, in his second epistle to them. He was uh, trying to help them see this perspective. He was trying to encourage them to see the unseen and talk, talks about you know, how they looked at him and all the persecution he was going through. He goes, listen, God is using this for his glory. Uh, our, our struggles that we're going through, God is, we're carrying about in our body the dying of Jesus but it's so the life of Jesus might be manifest. See, if I'm expecting an easy road as a Christian, I'm going to be set up to be susceptible to these charlatans that Jude described coming in. They're going to see my obsession and they're going to play me. But when I'm in the word of God and I'm just faithful to be faithful to what he's given and I'm going to plod along and I'm going to trust him and I'm going to get my eyes on the things that are eternal, not on the external I'm not going to be easily deceived. I'm not going to be tricked. I'm not going to be swindled. I'm going to see right through it. I remember years ago, a man who, you know, came in here as a flash and started throwing uh, money around to do this for us and do that for us. And I just, it was something that just didn't set right. And, uh, but it was always the promise of the big payday, you know, and uh, he'd, Bring people up after service and introduce various clients of his and and it, and it just seemed all too like these just Pretending like he knows me too. Well, and found out later I felt he was playing these business partners to invest in his company and you know, you know, look there are people that use the church. They come in People in the church are generally nice people And we could fall for these scams unless you're in the word of god and you realize money doesn't drive you pleasures aren't driving you you want the Lord's will. And that's what we hope to encourage, you know, men and women that are single, that have that desire for the Lord's will, that they find each other here and they have strong foundations. But you have to also, you know, remember the adage, uh, finding the right person, uh, you know, success isn't so much finding the right person as, as it is avoiding the many who could mess your life up. And uh, But even if you have made that kind of a mess and you've already gone down that road, keep in mind God can use that too. You can't undo that decision of marriage. You fight through it and you say, okay, Lord, you're going to do something else. You're going to deepen me through this challenge. So Paul writes to them and he basically, he says this, he says in verse 16, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inner man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know, it may not be all the promise of riches and wealth and fame and all the stuff that we long for because we think that's what we need. It might be challenges and difficulty momentary afflictions. But God is working a far more deeper weight of glory in that. And, and the key for us, just like Jude... All those things that appear one way, yet you might miss the unseen evil. Here, don't miss the unseen glory. He says, while we look at the things, not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, if I were to apply this in a very, you know, clear way for us, especially in this COVID season and the the challenge for our economy, a challenge for people's lives... You know, is this big conspiracy behind this? Is there this, that? Listen, I have no doubt there's conspiracies. There are conspiracies all over the place. We shouldn't be surprised. Whatever deep state is happening, just let me remind you, there's one deeper still. A lot of this stuff will never be declassified until we're already old and gone. Doesn't matter. God knows. See, that's the key for us. And it reminds me too, if we see the unseen, we won't be so upset about all of this craziness going on we'll pray for god's will to be done if in fact if anything i'm seeing god stir people up because their lives are now much more uncomfortable they're more prone to think what does the bible have to say about this i need to know i need to understand and and that's going to make a big difference because they're going to seek the lord and you know this is the time now we can reach them in fact that's exactly what this is all really about This love feast coming together, it's not about feeding yourself. It's about feeding others. It's about others. It's about, Lord, using my life for others. It was never about you. And that's the amazing freedom that God gives. When you encounter his love, he fills you so richly. You're not obsessed anymore with beauty and power and money and fame if it comes great but you hold on to it very lightly cuz it's you know don't don't put your heart on it don't let your heart settle there let it flow through you to be a blessing to others kind of like the very beginning of our nation while this cancel culture is trying to convince you of how evil our nation is and all the evils of how our started and our founding fathers were all this and that and and even columbus coming over and they're tearing down statues of columbus you know, you know the amazing thing is these little puny-minded cancel culture people have no clue what they're doing. And, you know, our, our beginning as a nation, we were a generation of, when you think of the pilgrims coming over, you know, they've been maligned in modern education. Listen, modern education is meant to totally tear down everything so that by the time these kids graduate, they're going to be easy dupes and useful idiots for the marxist cap uh, culture that wants to destroy this nation just that's the way it is and and fortunately we've paid for this education out of our taxes and by the way even if school doesn't happen you're still going to pay out of your taxes the the thing of it is though when the early pilgrims came over do you know that they most of them knew that they probably wouldn't survive the journey and if they did survive the journey they wouldn't survive the first winter With disease and starvation and if they did survive that many of them were going to have all kinds of problems But you know, why did they come then? They came because they saw themselves as a stepping stone for the next generation How different that is from the cancel culture outraged at the least offense You know offended over everything my feelings are hurt over everything Rather than this kind of people that suffered and endured, even though they suffered, they knew they were making a better life for the next generation. Now I have to say there's a lot of our generation was very absorbed in itself, very selfish. You know, look at the debt we're in right now as a nation. It's just a picture of the people we voted in that keep, you know, spending, spending, spending. We don't see ourselves as stepping stones anymore. We want it now. We gloat in that. Little bumper stickers, you know, on the back of a Winnebago. I'm spending my children's inheritance. It's kind of like a joy. It's like, I'm going to live it up. Who cares about them? And that's a mentality for many. But that's that was not the mentality of those that founded this nation. You know, and those are the heroes. We need to keep their statutes up. We need to re-erect them. And I'm praying that every one of those ones that was torn down gets a highlight of who they were and what they really were about and that we really dig down deep and understand our history and our roots because we have drifted from those roots and we have become obsessed and we have become selfish and materialistic but let's come back so i i look at this and i think well when has it ever been easy when we look at the things that can't be seen this is what we see What the world doesn't see when a few people are gathered in a prayer meeting in a church is that that is the very foundation of the future of these people. And I got to tell you, I was like blown away at our last prayer meeting on Sunday night. I walked down here as one little group here. There was one seat left. It was the rest of it was some ladies of the church and I joined them. And I I was humbled. I was blown away. I thought I knew how to pray. I realized I was like a boy scout compared to some of these women that were interceding, lifting up you and lifting up ministry and lifting up the pastors and lifting up. And I'm sitting there going, wow. And all I could think of is the world misses that what they'll look at here with disdain like, ah, what are you church people going to do? These little old ladies in church, what do they mean? Let me tell you something. That group was fueling every ministry, every radio thing we've done, every outreach we've done, that was the fuel. The world doesn't see that. We need to see that. We need to measure things quite differently. What's sterilizing the church in our country is an obsession for appearances and the cool, hip, new thing. Rather than just getting back to basics, plodding along, being faithful with the little things the Lord gives you, and the Lord will take care of the rest. Oh, Lord, help us to see that. Help us. To follow him. Father thank you so much. For your faithfulness. I do pray. That the gospel message. That you have so richly given to us. Through your son. His death for us. That we could have an eternal life with you. Enjoy it now. And all eternity celebrate it. I pray for some here. That have yet to have that assurance. That when they breathe their last. They're with you Lord. I pray you draw them by your mercies. To trust in your son, Jesus, who loved them and died for them. Call on his name. When they're softened and they see the world doesn't satisfy and they've tasted the wages of the devil and they don't, they don't add up, I pray, Father, that they call upon your name. You might show them the difference as you showed me so mercifully many years ago. and Continue to prove yourself powerful. Right now, everybody's praying. Maybe you're at home. Maybe you're even on the radio. Just listen. Is God speaking to you to settle that business with him, to trust Jesus now? What are you waiting for? Now, you can do that in a prayer. You can do that with a calling on his name. You know, that itself is not what saves you. What saves you is faith in Jesus Christ alone. What he did for you. You're confident that his death gave you life because he paid for your sin and now opens a door for you to come to the God of life. If that's what you desire right now, while everybody's praying, just just say, Lord, here am I. Forgive me of my sin. I want to put my trust in you. If that's you right now, just express that in your own words. Lord, I need you. I believe you. I want, to, I want to be ready when you come back for your people. I want to be with you in heaven. If that's your desire. Lift that need to him. Trust him. And I would encourage you, if, if that's you, you express that to the Lord. We'd love to give you a Bible, some materials to help you grow, help you understand his ways. Um, look, just open your Bible. And it's a, it's a road through the Bible. It's, it's a journey. You're not going to do it in a night. You're going to have more questions than answers at first. But just keep plodding along. One day you're going to find yourself stronger and wiser and a blessing to others as he flows through you and splashes the Lord upon others around you. Father, thank you, Lord, for your mercies. I pray right now. Lord, show yourself powerful to those listening wherever they are humble themselves and acknowledge you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Lloyd Pulley. If you enjoy the message, you can learn more about Pastor Lloyd's ministry by visiting www.ccob.org.